Hello ladies and gentlemen this is Sonali Mangal and welcome to another episode of Learn Educate Discover On this podcast we invite people from different professions on each of our episodes and we ask them a range of questions to try and understand what their job is all about The goal of this podcast is to try and educate our listeners about as many different kind of jobs as we can so that someone listening to the show can decide does a certain job sound interesting to them and if yes how do they go about exploring it further On today's show our focus is going to be on product management in the tech industry Now product management is one of the hottest roles in the tech space today and also one of the most competitive and toughest roles to get into especially in Silicon Valley So what is product management Let's take a product uh say a software product then while an engineer is the person who writes code for the product it is the product manager who quote and quote owns the product so he or she thinks about who is the customer what are the customer's requirements what needs to get built to make the customer happy and then the product manager will work with the engineer to make sure that that gets built in fact many a times informally a product manager is also referred to as the ceo of the product so to help us understand this area our guest on today's show is christine folk who works as a product manager with linkedin i'm sure many of you are familiar with linkedin it is a popular social network that is used for professional networking by many people around the world in fact as of october 2015 linkedin had as many as 400 million members and this i'm quoting from wikipedia Coming to Christine herself, Christine has quite a background. She did her undergrad in computer science and engineering from Carnegie Mellon, after which she worked as a program manager at Microsoft in the Windows division for a few years. After spending her time at Microsoft, Christine then got her MBA from the Wharton School, University of Pennsylvania, and then Christine joined LinkedIn as a product manager. Christine comes with a wealth of experience both in this role as well as in the tech space overall so she'll be sharing a lot of useful details with us today both to help us understand what her job is all about as well as what makes it such a sought after role also just a quick note i had this discussion with christine in the linkedin office so there's a little bit of background noise in the audio but it isn't very bad uh, i'm just giving you a fair warning But throughout this discussion Christine shares a lot of useful nuggets so this is a great one to listen to thank you so much for listening and for your flexibility so without further ado let's see what Christine has to share with us today Hey Christine how are you thank you for joining us hey thanks for having me yeah of course i'm really glad that you're doing this in the linkedin office it just gives a better sense of the environment that you're working in But I have to say, it doesn't look like a traditional corporate office at all. I mean, it's colorful. There are people with pets at their desks. There are so many forks around. Do you enjoy it? Yeah, I absolutely enjoy working here at LinkedIn, and this is pretty typical uh, Silicon Valley culture as well. Today happened to be October thirtieth, which mm-hmm. is the day before Halloween. So there's a lot of people uh, dressing in costume around saw that. around yeah. campus. Yeah. Actually, my team was uh, dressing as a team of minions, oh, really? and they actually just won the third place in the costume contest. Oh, really? Congratulations! Yeah. yeah, yeah. So, so it's definitely a very fun place to work. Now, obviously, we work hard and play hard. No, I'm sure. So, what is this about the tech companies? Like, as you said, there is this culture in Silicon Valley of offering a lot of perks and services to the employees. Why is that? I mean, it's a good thing. But why is that? 
Yeah, I think we strongly believe that in, in Silicon Valley, we hire the best people. And we believe that the best people, they are able to make the best decision about how they want to spend their time. And so it's not about forcing someone to work nine to five or nine to seven. Mm -hmm. It's about giving them the flexibility to do the best work in whatever schedule and environment that suits them. That makes sense. Okay. So what's the craziest work that you've seen so far? Wow, this this is so hard to pick. Um, <laughs> so I, many crazy points. I, I know. Um, I absolutely love the food here. It's, it's fantastic. LinkedIn 15 is a real thing. What is LinkedIn? I haven't heard so, of uh, in, in, in the U.S., uh, when people go to college, first year, there is such thing called freshman 15, which is to say that people usually gain 15 pounds in their freshman year because like, they are just oh, really? leaving <laughs> home for the first time and, and you know like eating out yeah. all the time. Uh, here at LinkedIn, because the food is just so great, that a lot of people yeah. actually complain that they probably gain a few too many it's pounds. It's the opposite of what you might expect. <laughs> okay, that's awesome. So what is the craziest perk? Food is not the craziest perk. Uh, it's not the craziest perk, but uh, it's definitely the best thing about working here. Um, craziest perk? Oh, we, um, so we actually have a pretty good music room here at LinkedIn oh. uh, where like anybody can, like in the middle of the day or any time, like go and have like a jam session. Like, a they jam have, session? Yeah, they have like, they have keyboards, they have drums, like they can Amazing. do anything there. I'm personally part of an acapella group. And so oh, wow. we actually practice there twice a week as well. That's awesome. If I was here, I wouldn't get any work done. I would be <laughs> having fun all the time. All right, so like coming to you and your background and your journey so far, maybe you can start out with telling us a little bit about who you are, your background, and then how you got here, where you are today. Uh, sure. Uh, as Sonali mentioned, I had a computer science degree from Carnegie Mellon when I attended undergrad. During my time there, the last internship that I did was actually a pro uh, what they call a program management internship at Microsoft. Now, this was during your undergrad? Yeah, this was during my undergrad, my third year. Got now. Program management, Microsoft kind of has their own uh, way of naming their position, which is a little bit different from the rest of Silicon Valley. But a program manager at Microsoft is very similar to a product manager in other tech companies. So that started my kind of journey into product management. So right. even though I had a computer science background, I never worked a day as an engineer. <laughs> <laughs> so I worked at Microsoft for four years as a PM. And at the time, I decided that, hey, you know what? I've kind of spent all my life in tech. Like I study tech. I worked in tech for four years and wanted to kind of evaluate what are my other options out there. Mm -hmm. So I decided to attend business school. I went to Wharton, actually, with Sonali. Oh, um, and actually, I picked Wharton specifically because it's not really known as a tech MBA program. Yeah. And I figured that that would give me the most exposure to opportunities outside of tech right. so that I can yeah. evaluate. But after two years at Wharton, I decided that tech is definitely oh, where I'm my heart is. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, and so after that, I, I focused my recruiting effort in the tech industry again. Yeah. I, I looked at some bigger companies and smaller companies and ultimately decided on LinkedIn because I feel that uh, LinkedIn is actually in the middle where it's definitely an established company. I mean, it's a public company. But at the same time, it still has such amazing growth and so many opportunities that are still to be explored that it sometimes feels like working at a startup here as well. Yeah, yeah. So a couple of questions around that. So going back to your decision to join Microsoft as a program manager. Mm -hmm. So when you were in your undergrad, did you know what a, what a program manager role is? Yeah, so I actually got really lucky. So during my uh, freshman year, first year at college, mm -hmm. I actually also went to Microsoft for an internship. Now at the time, they piloted a new program called the Explore Microsoft Program which is a special program for freshmen at, uh, at a college where you don't actually work in a particular discipline. So it's not like you work as a PM or engineer or a QA, but they actually put you um, and maybe four or five other people into the same product team and give you a project where you have to lead it from start to finish as a group. 
So you get to experience kind of all aspects of product development all the way from kind of requirement gathering to actually coding up the project and actually testing it yourself. And that's how I got my first exposure into what does that really mean to be a product manager. That's very cool because then that would expose you to all the different functions and you can decide where you want to go. But did you know that that you were interested in product? No, so that that was kind of like my first exposure into what does it mean to be a PM, a engineer, or in QA. And through that program, I realized that, hey, it's actually pretty interesting. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, obviously at school, you're focusing on decoding part of it. Mm-hmm. But actually, that whole process of gathering requirements, understanding what we're trying to accomplish with the product is actually a very interesting aspect of that's product true. development. Mm-hmm. And so that's why in my third year, when it comes time to apply for internship again, I decided to specifically apply for a program management internship at the time. Okay. And that's how I confirmed my interest in, in uh, product management. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right. So you mentioned that once you were in business school, then you basically thought that, no, I want to be in tech. And you were recruiting for product management roles, I'm imagining, or were you looking at other roles also? So actually, I did look at uh, a few different roles, uh, like something that is very closely related to product management. I did look at product marketing. Um, I did look a little bit into business development as well. Mm -hmm. Uh, But I think ultimately what got me decided to choose product management is actually the fact that this is, so I previously worked in Seattle, and this is kind of like my first job that I was taking in Silicon Valley. Mm -hmm. And like you said, like product management, it is a very competitive role and a very prestigious role here. And I want to challenge myself. I want to see like if I can make it here as as a PM. And so I decided that, hey, you know what, given that that's also my strength, let me start with uh, right. being a PM again. It is probably one of the strongest roles to start out from and probably easier to transition to other roles if you're already if you already have a background That's in right. product management. So this is an interesting point. Why do you think product management is such a prestigious role in Silicon Valley? Um, I think that it's a, it's a couple of reasons. Uh, first of all, being a PM is very central to the success of the product. It's specifically because the role of a PM is actually very undefined. So what I mean by that is that the role of an engineer is to create the product. The role of a QA is to test the product. And the role of, say, the design right, is to make sure that the product is, is very usable. But ultimately, if all these different things happen and we didn't actually have the right requirement, we didn't have the right vision, the product would fail. And so that's why the, the person who is in that steering role of where the product is headed mm-hmm. is actually a very important to the success of the product. Um, and I think secondly, the, the importance of being a PM is that specifically because you're not responsible for a tangible part of the product, you have like the only way that you can be measured is whether that product ultimately succeed or not. And the product can fail for many different reasons. Mm-hmm. And, but it doesn't matter how it, fail, it fails, then ultimately you as the PM has the responsibility. And so that's why the PM role is so important. No, it's definitely important. Just quick clarification, when you say QA, that refers to? Uh, quality assurance. I think uh, different companies will have a different terminology for okay. it. And is a product manager always referred to as a product manager, or does it go by any other name also? In the Silicon Valley, um, mostly is referred to as product manager. Like I said, some other companies like Microsoft, they go by the name of program manager as well. As right. some, for example, a uh, company like Amazon would call it like technical product managers. In a more... Client services setting, sometimes in those cases, I think is similar to like a business analyst role as well in those oh, cases. Oh, I see. Okay, I didn't know that. Okay. So to the extent that you can share, can you talk about, well, one, can you share what area you work on LinkedIn? 
Uh, sure. So I've worked on a few different products at LinkedIn. When I first joined LinkedIn, I was with the team called a communication team, and we are responsible for communication that are being sent from LinkedIn to our members, whether it's email or push notifications or even SMS. And the point is that our goal is to be able to drive the right engagement from members who may not be visiting LinkedIn organically and be able to deliver the right information right at their fingertips. Awesome. Okay. And then the second, um, after that, the second role I worked on is on the newsfeed team. So this is the first kind of the homepage you see when you log on to LinkedIn.com or oh, when wow, you okay. open the app for the first time, that stream of information that you see, whether it's about news that might be interesting to you or uh, updates from your uh, network. So that's that's part of the responsibility. Yeah, of the that's team. like a very critical part of the product. So that's the, when I log into LinkedIn, when I see that my XYZ friend liked this or posted this, that's the news feed, right? Uh, that's right. Okay, and so you're the one who's thinking about when I log in, what should this user see? Yeah, that's right. Okay. So I think it would be very helpful if you can walk us through the end-to-end -end process and you could take a product that you worked on or a fictitious product um, right from the point of you're thinking about what to build, how do you even assess the customer's requirements, how do you prioritize what to build, and then how do you work with your engineers? Sure. So what I'm about to describe is probably, I would describe it in a very linear way, but in reality, I think things rarely happen as like waterfall. Yeah, for sure. Things yeah. usually happen kind of in parallel, but they usually involve these same components. Mm -hmm. So first of all, in order to build a product, you want to have a vision, right? You want to be able to say, why am I building this product? Who am I building it for? Mm -hmm. And what do they need, right? Being able to nail this is actually a really big part of the ultimately like what this team needs to uh, work on. So being able to do that means that you probably have to do a lot of research right, into your users, your customers. You might have to research into your uh, competitors and see what they are doing and be able to assess the opportunity out there. Because ultimately, even if this is a very interesting area, if only one person needs it, then that's yeah, not that's a very true. good opportunity <laughs> so for you your need a business. big market. Yeah. Right, and you likely would work with a lot of people, like uh, maybe a marketing manager or a market research to, to assess a lot of these opportunities. Right. And then uh, after you've defined your vision. Oh, right. actually, a uh, quick uh, question on mm -hmm. that. So one, can you give us an example of what a vision statement might look like? Uh, sure. So for example, LinkedIn as a company, mm -hmm. our vision statement is to be able to create economic opportunity for every member of the global workforce. I see. So you'll start out with something which is as high level and broad. So yeah, so this is the, obviously this is the vision of a company, mm -hmm. right? Then every division within the company and then subsequently every product team, a product area may have their own particular vision as well. But you can expect that that vision would align with right. the overall vision of the company. Got it. Okay. So, so for your product, you would define something like that, which of course has to align with the overall company's vision. Okay. That's okay. right. So once you have a vision of where you want to go, it's very important that you are able to communicate this vision and evangelize it within your company and your team. Because being able to align everybody to the same vision and that everybody has the same understanding of the vision is actually already like half the battle. Mm -hmm. Because um, what you don't want to get to is halfway through the execution, you realize that everybody has a different idea of where you're, you guys are actually headed and that, would, that wouldn't be a yeah. good outcome. So how do, how do you do that? Uh, this is probably a little vague, but this is really a lot about like making sure that you identify right, who your stakeholders are. There is usually your core team who are the people who are actually going to be executing on the product. 
there is also partner teams who are people who might be affected by mm -hmm. what your team ultimately is going to build. And then there's obviously the executives in the company who ultimately need to sponsor your effort and they have to buy into the fact that you guys are working right. on the right things. Right. So it's going to be a lot of communication, presentation, meetings, informal or informal settings in order to communicate uh, this message. I see. Are there some tools that you use very often? Presentation. Because <laughs> oh. uh, be, usually being able to uh, actually create, the process of creating a presentation actually helps with uh, clarifying the thoughts in your head as well. Because sometimes you think that you understand what you're trying to build, mm -hmm. but you realize that you really don't until you're actually trying to write it down and be able to communicate it to others. It forces you to think it through. Exactly. Okay. In, in a succinct way as well. Right. So, and, and we'll get to the later part of the process, but usually this, if you, if you think about the product management process as 100%, mm -hmm. then this uh, research and defining the vision, how much would that take up? Oh, that's, that's a pretty difficult question. <laughs> um, I think it's like a range or approximation. Uh, probably may, maybe like a third of okay. the time, but I would say that being able to nail this, I would even go as far as 70-80% of the battle because, right. again, if you have the wrong vision, then you just build the wrong product, no matter how smart your engineer is, no matter how talented your designer is. Right. That makes. I mean, do you try and, I mean, I don't know what validating a vision means, but do you try and figure out that if this is the right thing to go after? If yes, how do you do it? Yeah, so I think that was kind of like the next step I was going to say is that like, I was saying that a lot of these things are not linear. It's not that like, hey, you create a vision and then you communicate it and then you go build it, right? Like uh, there's usually a lot of iteration uh, that's involved. Like you, you may create like a V1 of your vision, mm -hmm. right? You communicate it and obviously you get a lot of questions. Mm -hmm. You may try to validate it with your target users, whether it's a consumer or whether it's a corporate customer. And they may give you feedback that totally invalidate uh, the vision that you're going after. And you probably have to go through a lot of tweaking along the way before you kind of arrive right. at your final vision. And even when you do arrive at the final vision, that is the vision at that moment in time, right? Things, a lot of things can change going forward, like your competitive landscape can change, your customer's need can change. And so even the vision may evolve right. over time. That well. makes sense, okay. All right, so we're done with the first step, which is defining the vision. Then what comes next? And I'm sure you're iterating along the way and tweaking it as you get more inputs. So then yeah. what's next? And so usually um, somewhere along kind of creating this vision and also before we actually go in and, and develop a production-ready product, we'll probably start doing a lot of prototyping, right? So prototyping could mean a lot of things. It could mean literally just you kind of sitting down with a customer and you're just drawing on paper, talking through it, and that could be one form. Mm -hmm. It could be actually like, hey, working with a designer to create some type of wireframe it could also be some high-fidelity mock-up, or you can even actually be working code that your, your engineer oh, okay. put together for okay. you. What's uh, a high-fidelity mock-up? Uh, meaning, so a, so a wireframe would be a non-high-fidelity -fide mock-up, which is that, hey, you just see lines of the product, and you don't really actually see the details of, like, hey, there's an image there, or, like, you may indicate that there's a button, but you may not know that it's green or blue. Oh, right, right. Okay. Or, or the actual styling of the button. Got it. Uh, and the high fidelity one might actually have a lot of those details. Generally, and when you're at the earlier stage of the process, you would generally not go with something that's too high fidelity because people tend to be too fixi too fixated that's by the details of, of those mockups and sometimes misses the, the, the big picture. Right, right, right. So sometimes we'll, we'll do these type of validations through all these different types of tools in order to kind of 
figure out, hey, are we building the right thing? And also start to kind of actually form a design uh, of the product. And generally, what we would do is that we would, uh, at some point, lock down on what we think is like our best approach to mm -hmm. what we think is, is the right way to build the product in terms of a user interface. Similarly, in parallel, on the engineering side, likely there would be a lot of discussion technically about what is the right way to build the product, what's the right technology to use, etc. And we'll all come together to make sure that what we have in mind from a design perspective is actually feasible right. uh, with the engineering approach as well. Okay. Then we'll uh, kind of get into the more what we call the product development phase um, of actually building the product in a way that's actually shippable. So previously, you may have created a prototype that's like full of bugs and like, you know half the bugs doesn't <laughs> work, yeah. right? But now we're actually getting to the point where we actually want to build the product. Okay. Now, how long this phase is, is um, it really depends on the complexity of your product. And generally, there there is a little bit of a difference between consumer and enterprise products. Okay. Right, because generally on the consumer product side, customers are not necessarily paying for the products, and there's also usually a little bit less complexity and a little bit less like reliability required of the product. And so we may be able to uh, actually phase it out and have more different milestones where we build kind of smaller features, uh, smaller products, and be able to ship them to our customers more quickly to get uh, rapid feedback. Versus uh, if this is an enterprise product, there may be more requirement from your customer, and they may ah, not be okay. as tolerant of something yeah. that's half-baked. That's right? a good point, yeah. And so, um, the, so that's why like, the length of the development uh, would, would depend would on a lot of these uh, factors. Yeah. Okay. But generally, we try to be able to build something, um, have concrete milestones, be able to, to ship something to an actual um, user as quickly as possible, because the more you do that, the more feedback, like real user feedback that you're going to get right. that you may not otherwise get in just like a usability setting. Right, right. All right. So we've covered vision, defining the vision of the product, then prototyping to see what we should build. Then there is product development, where I'm guessing you're working with engineers and QA folks and designers. And then is there anything after this? Uh, yeah, sure. So generally, well, uh, once you actually try to ship a product, you would actually have a plan, what we call a go-to-market plan, right? And for the consumer product, this might mean like, hey, how do we actually create the right messaging to our users about what this product is about? And it could be through, say, different marketing channels, like emails, it could be an advertising, blog posts, all those kind of things. For enterprise, similarly, like you may have to figure out like what's the right plan to reach to the right customers. And a lot of times you have to work very closely with the sales force as well right. to be able to obviously sell to the right places. Right. So this is something that usually uh, the product manager would work very closely with the marketing manager to execute on that. Okay. And once the product actually goes to market, then that's the very interesting phase because now everybody's holding their breath and say, hey, this thing actually <laughs> has to work, work yeah. right? And so this is where it's very important, this is where analytics really comes in. And this is where it's super important that during the phase of development that we put in all the right types of tracking in the product in place so that we are able to understand how this product is actually being used okay. out in the wild. Okay. Uh, this is particularly interesting on a, in the consumer space because in well in an enterprise product, your user base may be a thousand people or five thousand people, but in the consumer side, if this could mean like millions of people, right? right? Or in right. the Facebook scale, right? It could sure. even be like billions of people. Sure, sure. And so this is where you would get back a lot of data. This is where like people when people talk about big data, a lot of times like these type of data is happening on the consumer side. And this is the phase where a PM would work very closely with what we call maybe a data analyst or a data scientist in order to understand, hey, did the product actually meet 
our expectation. Mm -hmm. One thing that I probably failed to mention previously is that it's very important that before you ship the product, you guys define very concrete success criteria for your product. Yeah, I was going to ask that do you define what kind of metrics you want to meet? And for, yeah. can you give us examples of those metrics? Yeah, for sure. Because uh, ultimately, for every version of the product you ship, you're trying to accomplish some goals, right? Mm -hmm. Whether it is be able to get more people to come back to visit your site, right? Or be able to get, maybe say, more people to take a certain actions on the site. And so you would want to define those goals ahead of time, making sure that you have the right instrumentation in place so that you are able to track those metrics. And then after you ship the product, you would want to evaluate against the goal that you've set for yourself. Right. So this is a good point. So what you're saying is that the way you're defining success is by seeing whether the customers are coming again and again and taking certain actions on your product. So coming again and again may be like one type of goal that you're trying to reach. But uh, I'll give you an example, right? Let's say when, uh, during the time that I was working on email, mm -hmm. maybe one of the goal could be that, hey, we want to make sure that more people are happy with the email that they're receiving. And this could mean that less people are complaining about the email that they're receiving, right? You can, you know how when you get an email, maybe you can press the spam button, right? right? Okay. So that could so be an action okay. as well. So coming back to the site is just one goal that a company possibly okay. would have. Okay. But the, like, for example, if you're an e-commerce company, then the goal could may, may be conversion of how many people visiting your site are actually purchasing something. Right, okay. I mean, typically for a product like email, how many different kind of goals would there be? There, there really could be a lot. And that's why it's very important for you to be very disciplined about how you set your goals. Because otherwise, there could literally be hundreds and thousands of data points that you can look at. Mm. And it's just not possible. And actually, frankly, not very useful for a product team to be looking at all these different data. So being able to articulate what is the most important success to you and the company and be able to track it on an ongoing basis is definitely uh, an art of product development. Right, right, okay. And then I'm guessing that the product manager's performance is measured on the result of these metrics. Uh, I would say that that is definitely like one part of it, but I wouldn't say that like one of the beauty of kind of product development these days is that it doesn't take three years or five years to develop a product. You possibly say you spend, you might have spent the last quarter developing a product with a certain hypothesis in mind. You may ship the product and realize that, hey, you know what, it failed. But at the same time, you probably learned a lot from the reasons of why it failed. You may, you may, true. it may turn out that it could be some things you didn't foresee in the market that your competitor might have come up with a new product. You may have made certain assumptions about your customer that's not true. Ultimately, yes, you might have failed a certain KPI that you were measuring yourself against, but as long as you're able to learn from it and be able to turn it into something actionable for their next iteration, it's fine. But ultimately, okay. that, that is what's okay. important. Okay. So based on what you've described, it sounds like the product manager is pretty much at the center of everything from beginning to end. Mm -hmm. So whether that's when you're defining the, the vision or during product development or even when the product is in the market, is that correct? Yeah, that's right. That's why I was uh, saying earlier that the product manager's role is, is, is very important, but at the same time, quite undefined. Because ultimately, you're responsible for the product being successful. If that means that, hey, you need to spend a lot of time communicating to the right stakeholders in the company in order to make certain things happen or get the right resources to build the product, mm -hmm. or it could mean that, hey, you have to spend a lot of time working with your customer to really um, solidify the requirements. Or it could be that, hey, there is just a lot of engineering roadblock and prioritization that we have to make, and you have to spend a lot of time working very closely with your engineering team to uh, make those happen. 
So at different points in the life cycle, a PM's role and focus might change as well. One thing that I think is interesting, you mentioned a PM as the CEO of the product. That's kind of like a very common saying. But at the same time, I would actually disagree with that a little bit okay. in the sense that CEO implies that you are the ultimate decision maker mm-hmm. um, of the product. Mm-hmm. But one, one phrase that I learned at Microsoft being a PM is that you have leadership without authority. Because one thing is that even though we have manager in the title, we actually don't manage any of these people, uh, smart people, who are right. involved in this process. Mm-hmm. The engineers don't report to us. Designers don't report to us. The marketing managers don't report to us. Ultimately, what we're trying to do is to be the glue of all these different functions and making sure that we are all ultimately working towards the same goal. So that's a great point. So, I mean, if CEO is not the right way to describe this role, if you were to pick a word, what would it be? Wow, this is, this is, going, to be, this is going to be difficult. Um, well, you can take your time to think about it. I mean, it's, maybe it's like a facilitator. I mean, a facilitator is not like a sexy word, but it is. you are doing a lot of ideation in the beginning, but I think facilitation is probably a big part of what you're doing, which is getting people together. Yeah, facilitation is, is definitely a, a very important criteria. But at the same time, what that doesn't capture is the fact that, A, a good PM definitely needs to have a point of view. You may not have the ultimate authority to say that like this is exactly how it's done and you have to do it my way, but you need to have a very strong point of view because otherwise, with so many people working on the product, it's very easy to fall into a decision by consensus. Right. So you as the product manager, because exactly because you're involved in all these different aspects of product development, you are supposed to have the best kind of vision into what really is the best of the product. Like right. You need to listen a lot. By a lot, I mean like you really need to listen to not just your engineers, but your designers, your customers, your marketing managers, etc. But ultimately, you should have your own opinion, and it's your job to be able to convince others that what you're proposing and where you're trying to lead is the right decision. Okay. Well, that's super helpful. So you said that you were working with really pretty much all roles in the company and mm-hmm. different parts of the product lifecycle. So it is a very cross-functional role. That's right. Could you give us examples of some of the conversations you might have, uh, you know, pick, pick any stage, just to give a flavor of the kind of uh, discussions you might be having with the team and the kind of decisions that have to be taken? Uh, sure. So, for example, lately we've been having a lot of discussion about uh, planning for next year. That's generally, even though we, we do agile development here, it's mostly in Silicon Valley, meaning that we try to not make decisions that would take six months to execute. We try to make decisions that would take, say, two weeks or a month to execute and reevaluate, mm-hmm. But we still tr- usually try to have a year-long vision to help just guide the general direction of the team. So we're doing a lot of that right now. So a lot of conversations that I'm having with, say, engineering team right now is um, the team definitely have a lot of ideas that they would like to see happen next mm-hmm. year, right? Some of them comes from kind of their own experience working on the product this year. Mm-hmm. Some of them may come from anecdotes that they heard from users or, right. or customers. And obviously, uh, you know, from our data point flowing in through the product, we are also seeing certain patterns as well. And so a lot of the conversation right now is about, hey, there are so many different ideas, a lot of them very good ideas. We only have so much time, mm-hmm. right? So how should we prioritize? Prioritization is actually one of the things that the PM have to do a lot. Right, I can imagine. And I'm guessing it's not a very easy process. No, it, it is mm-hmm. not. And so being able to be very disciplined about how you're making decisions and also not get personal about how we're making these decisions exactly. right, is, is very important. Yeah, you want to make sure that you're not emotionally attached to any of the ideas to make sure that you're taking the right decision. That's right. Okay. 
All right, so Christine, I think we have a good idea of the role now. We'll now switch over to some of the more day-to-day aspects of the role. Sure. So on a more day-to-day basis, what kind of problems are you solving? Um, I would say that that actually, again, differs quite a bit depending on where in the product life cycle you are, right? Mm-hmm. So, for example, while the team is executing on the current version, you may be spending a lot of time talking to maybe your, your leadership, your a marketing team about, hey, how we start thinking about the next version um, of the product, mm-hmm. right? So that's when you would probably have a lot more kind of conversation with cross-functional teams so you make sure that you can get, get the right kind of feedback in order to inform that process. Similarly, if you are basically really in execution mode, like you are maybe like a month, two months away from, from shipping a very important product, then a lot of your time may be focused on really working very closely with your engineering team, with your design team, to make sure that you guys are able to make decisions, real-time decisions about the product on a day-to-day or even like hour-to-hour basis, right? Because as much planning as you try to do ahead of time, there's always going to be something unexpected uh, when it comes time to implementation. Whether it's a technical roadblock or whether it's something that we tested with users and decided that, hey, that's actually not a good design and we have to alter our plan. And so a lot of those things are day-to-day decisions that the team have to make in order to move forward and make progress. And so PM might be very involved in that process in order to facilitate that uh, to happen. Similarly, maybe towards the end, like we are about to, so we are a month away from from going to market, then a lot of your focus may be to uh, make sure that you're working very closely with the people involved in the go-to-market plan so that we have the right materials, right messaging, all the different things uh, are in place. I was going to ask you if there is like a typical day for you, but it sounds like there isn't a typical day. Yeah, I would say that like probably if you really have to pick a typical day, you are probably working most closely with your engineering and and design counterparts in order to actually execute on the product. But uh, definitely it it could vary. It vary a lot. Yeah, I mean, so let's pick one phase. On a typical day in that phase, do you spend most of your time in meetings or is it working on your presentation to communicate your ideas? Yeah, so during execution phase, I would say that there's usually a lot of time in meetings where we would probably, let's say that we may have a daily stand-up with the engineering team and we talk about the progress from the day before, and we may talk about roadblocks that have come up in the past day. Mm-hmm. And so usually you would want to spend a, a large part of, of your day trying to make sure that those roadblocks are resolved mm-hmm. and making sure that your team has a way to move forward because as long as those roadblocks are there, then the team can't make progress. Okay. Similarly, those roadblocks might actually require a decision that's beyond just your team, right? It may require some approval from a different team. It, would, it may require like us trying to get a different team to help us. So you may have to go work with a different team, identify the right person to help right. you resolve right. this problem. And usually you may also try to, like, let's say that usually we work in the, on a sprint-by-sprint sprint basis where Every two weeks, we try to set a certain goal for ourselves to, uh, in order to execute oh, towards. Sprint is two weeks? There's no strict definition of what a sprint is. Over on my team, we define sprint as two, two weeks. weeks. Okay. But it could be as short as one week, maybe some, it could be 10 days. Okay. It, it really is just a way for teams to kind of set a milestone for themselves so that they kind of have a goal to be able to execute towards. And then usually, the sorry, not, not to interrupt, but. Uh, at the end of a sprint, are you shipping out code then? Um, so at the end of the sprint, we may not be able to ship any customer-facing product, but generally we want to get to a place where there is some working components that you are able to at least demonstrate to the rest of the team. Got it. Okay. 
I, I sorry, I interrupted you. You were saying something. Uh, I was saying that so usually as the team is maybe executing on a sprint, you may also already want to start thinking about what the next sprint. Um, That's a great point. What, okay. what do you want to do in the next sprint? Okay. And making sure that you have everything aligned in order for the team to be able to execute in the next sprint, whether it's making sure the design is ready, making sure that the requirements are properly documented so that the, the engineering team can actually pick it up. So you may be working a lot with the designer, right, to, to try to come up with that next iteration of the design. Okay. And clearly you would also have to kind of make sure that engineers and all the other constituents are involved in the process so that they kind of, every, everybody agrees with that being the right design before we actually start the next Agreed. sprint. Okay, that makes sense. So actually I wanted to ask you this question when you were talking about the different phases. Do you have a favorite phase or, or a phase that you enjoy the most? Actually, I think, I think execution is definitely very fun because that's the phase where you know that you are so close to be able to like actually have something that you've worked on for so long Right. comes to life That's true. right being able to slowly start seeing things coming together is always very exciting right uh, but I would say that in terms of like the the toughest actually being able to define the right vision is actually pretty difficult yeah I would say that like that sometimes may not feel very fun because you might feel a lot of frustration particularly when you try to like validate your vision and the feedback comes back may not be very positive yeah. But knowing that that's the most crucial part of shipping the right products, I think that is also like it's just it's challenging and in some ways fun. Uh, yeah, I can imagine. Do you guys have any guidelines in terms of what makes a good vision? Like for example, one thing which I've heard people talk about is smart goals, which is I don't know the full form, but basically it has to be something which is measurable and actionable and stuff like that. So do you have something like that in terms of what makes a good vision? Just like your opinion. Um, I would say that I actually haven't thought too mm -hmm. much about this, mm -hmm. this particular topic. But I would, like, for example, I personally really like the LinkedIn vision myself. And the reason I really like it is because it both captures what is core to this company's success today, but it also broad enough that it really leaves you as an employee and as a customer. You can be very excited about the future of what the possibility That's a great is. Point, yeah. and, this is actually something that I learned, I would say, specifically at LinkedIn, because even though I've heard kind of vision statement in other companies, I've never heard it reiterated so much as this company does. And I think our CEO, Jeff Wiener, does a very great job in that whole communication aspect of it, which is to make sure that he constantly reiterate what our vision is and why it's so important to company to the point that like, you ask anybody at LinkedIn, everybody is able to kind of state what our vision statement is and how their work contribute to this vision statement. Right. Well, I, I, you know, it's a fantastic point that the vision has to be something which you can understand but also broad enough so that people feel, first of all, they feel inspired by the vision mm -hmm. and then there's enough room for creativity to build different things aligning with that vision. Wow. That's right. right. Makes a lot of sense. Okay, so then coming back to your day-to-day, -day, we were talking about how, well, there's no really typical day for a product manager, but you tried your best to <laughs> explain what it might look like between different phases. What are your working hours like then? My working hours is actually quite flexible, and that's generally true for a, a lot of Silicon Valley companies. So obviously, ultimately, what we want to do is to make sure we ship a great product. And so in some sense, that means that we put in whatever hour it takes to make that happen. But at the same time, this doesn't mean that, hey, you stay at the office for like 12, 14 hours right. a day. Because the great thing about working in a tech environment is that technology is so advanced <laughs> these days that you can, you can work at the office, but you can also work at home. So 
typically as a, as a PM, just because the fact that we have so many meetings, we do have to be at office for a certain number of hours just to attend those meetings in person. But otherwise, we are free to uh, maybe say leave at say five six p.m. We you can like cook dinner at home, and then you decide to kind of log back into your computer and do yeah. more work again. Yeah. So it's pretty difficult to say like exactly how many hours I, I put but in. I don't really log. Which is good. <laughs> well, I, I think having control over your time is way more important than just having few or more working hours. That's right. Okay. All right. So I think we've covered a lot of stuff about the role itself. I think now what we'll do is. We'll get into more of like what do you like about the job, maybe some stuff that you don't like. So, what are the most interesting aspects of this role, in your opinion? I think the most interesting aspect of this role is that, for the most part, you really have to define your role, meaning that there's no one to tell you exactly today. Okay, Friday, October thirtieth, what should you be doing when you come into the office today? You as the PM is controlling kind of your own destiny. You decide that hey, you know what? It's actually more important for me to spend more time working with the engineering team today to make sure that you know we are making good progress on the product. You may decide that you want to spend more time, you know, talking to your customer, your partners to clear out some roadblocks. So that feeling of hey, you really need to be your own boss and make your own decision, and not necessarily someone else telling you to what to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, is something that I, I really like about my job because I think that it makes things more challenging, uh, but yeah, also it's in, fun in, and challenging. In, yeah, intellectually more stimulating. Right, right. Anything else? Um, I think the other aspect I really like is the fact that, like you said, it's a very cross-functional role. Mm-hmm. So it really gives you a lot more exposure uh, to all the other parts, all the other people in the company that is critical to the success of your product. Because mm-hmm. when you're in some of the other roles, say, say like engineering. Design, you may be more focused uh, working on a very specific aspect of the product. But when you're in a PM role, you really need to have that overview of what everybody um, right. else is working on. Yeah. Um, so I really like that because when I was looking for a job, like I was actually even interested in some of these other areas as well. And right. so for me, being able to work with those people and actually learn from them about like people who That's are very good, good yeah. at yeah. those uh, positions uh, is is a great learning experience. For so I mean, based on what you're describing, do you think a product manager needs to be, you know, what is referred to as a people person? Uh, definitely, I would say that there are definitely some roles, uh, some product manager roles, where it's maybe sway a lot more technical, mm-hmm. and in those cases, you may be a lot more involved in making, say, technical decisions, or maybe a little bit more on the project management side of it and making sure that things you know, things are rolling and things are, uh, are shipping in time. But for the vast majority of other PM roles, I would say that being able to interact well with people is, is a prerequisite. It's a big part of the role, okay. And then are there any aspects that you find challenging? Uh, I guess the cross-functional <laughs> aspect of it um, is my favorite, but it's also a very challenging part of it, right? Because on one hand, you are not the expert in any of those areas, right? So you are really relying on all these other smart people that you're working with to, in order to deliver the job. But at the same time, you are ultimately responsible for the success of the product. And so how do you kind of really make sure that you are able to work with all these people, even though you're not the expert in them, but making sure yeah. that we're all working towards the same goal? Yeah, I can that, imagine that's a very hard thing to pull off. Yeah, so that I think that's the challenging part of it. And I think, uh, secondly, the going back to the fact that PM, even though we are referred to as CEO, but we don't ultimately have that decision-making power. Right. 
right? So being able to kind of get everybody into a certain consensus about what, where we are going. Sometimes it would take a lot of time. It could be frustrating, but it's, it's absolutely necessary. But sometimes that could be uh, pretty challenging as well. Right, right. I'm sure you've met many, many product managers within LinkedIn and in your past mm -hmm. career at Microsoft. The best product managers, in your opinion, what do you think makes them stand out? Yeah, so actually there's a lot of people who have kind of written about this topic and talked about this topic. I may not be the best person to talk about it, but actually, so there are actually two people who have written about this topic that I, I, I really like their work. One of them is Ben Horowitz of uh, Andreessen Horowitz. So he wrote an article called Good PM, Bad PM. Um, that's also included in his book called Hard Thing About Hard Things. Okay. Um, I highly recommend that book, actually. Oh, that's a good um, resource to include in our show notes from the podcast. <laughs> yeah. Sure. And then the, the second person uh, who, writ, who wrote about this topic that I really like is Ken Norton. So he is a partner at Google Venture. He used to be a PM at, at Google himself as well. And he wrote an article about how to hire good PM, I think. Okay. So. Both of these I highly recommend um, anyone interested in, in, in product management to go read about those articles. I think that for me personally, what really makes a good PM is someone who are able to constantly make hard decisions and prioritize. Ultimately, you would always, as, as the owner of the product who is responsible for the success of the product, you would be constantly given decisions. Like You constantly have to make decisions one after another, day to day week to week, <laughs> um, whether it's small decisions about, hey, should this button be on the left or on the right, right, right all the way to, like, is this even the right vision for us to be able to go after and, and when, right? And be able to kind of make those hard calls, prioritize, make trade-offs, those are what really separate a good product manager and a bad product manager. And then I think on the second level, depending on whether you are a consumer product PM or whether you are a enterprise product PM, there could be some differences in what makes a good PM as well. I would say if you're a consumer product PM, so when I say consumer product, I mean product that are used by a lot of people, right. non usually non-paying uh, customers out there. Not companies. So for example, like Facebook, right? If you're a PM at, say, Facebook uh, Messenger or something, mm -hmm. right? Having what we call kind of like the good product sense is like quote unquote good product sense <laughs> uh, is, is very important. And this is something that is very nebulous and a little bit hard to define. But some people just inherently know when they see a great product and they know what a great, great product feels like and what a great product should look like. Mm -hmm. And this is something that is, you can, you, can, you can try to evolve and try to get better. But I say I, I think it's something that is a little bit hard to learn. Like if, quantify if, or yeah, and also it's a little hard to learn if, if you just don't really kind of have that. Um, like, have you seen people like that? Oh yeah, for sure. I would say that like a lot of the good, a lot of the successful founders out there, like you know Mark Zuckerberg or something, they have it. Like they understand, even though like no one might have, like no one might have built something like that before. No one might have like told them that this is what people want but they just have a very strong belief that this is the right thing to build mm -hmm. and they are able to have a vision of how this great product would look like right. and they go ahead and, and, and build it. And so being able to have that ability, <laughs> even though it's hard to quantify, is yeah. actually pretty important um, for, a, a for a product manager. Okay. All, right. All right, so Christine, I think we've covered major ground on both the role and the day-to-day -day aspects of what you do. Let's now think about a couple of pointers which can help someone who might be considering a role mm -hmm. in product management. So first of all, in your opinion, 
what kind of person do you think would enjoy himself or herself in this role? I see. Uh, so I think the first thing is something that you already brought up, which is this person should probably be a people person. You should enjoy really working with uh, people and actually a very diverse set of people given the cross-functional nature of the role. You should be very comfortable with ambiguity because, again, the role of a PM is generally not very well-defined and you really need to figure out yourself what is the right next course of action that you should be taking. And then the third one is that you really should be able to make decisions independently and be able to uh, very ruthlessly uh, prioritize uh, both your time and also the decision at hand. Right, right. Is there any aspect of, and uh, you did bring up that point of just being that nebulous, the knack for figuring out what a good product is. Yeah, actually, yeah, so that, that's a good point. So the, I think the last one that I would say is that you should be very curious. You should not accept that the current solution and the, or the current product is where you can be and the, the best it can be. You should always be curious about, hey, what are the opportunities out there, whether it is something that is actually directly aligned with where your product is going or new technology or new uh, kind of development in marketplace that could alter the course of your product right. as well. And actually, I was thinking about this when you were talking about how there are very different kind of decisions that you need to take at different points of the product mm -hmm. life cycle. Do you think a PM also needs to be someone who can think at very, very different levels? So at some point, you might be thinking very high level when mm -hmm. you're thinking about a product vision. Yeah. But then during execution, you have to be very, very detail-oriented. That's, that's exactly right. So like, you need to be able to think all the way at, like, hey, what, where do I want to go in like, the next like, three to five years? all the way down to like, hey, this, this color on this button at this position is really like the right yeah, decision that yeah. we want to make for, for our product. It's definitely a very right, wide range of decisions. Yeah, but I would imagine that that's a very hard combination to find in one human being, right? Because mostly people tend to be one or the other. That's right. So I would think, I, I would say that generally PMs, there are kind of like three categories of PMs. Like there may be PMs who are really more kind of business-minded that they really, like, their, their interest or maybe their strength is to understand, like, the, the market and, and the vision. There may be some PMs who are very creative. What they excel is the ability to really think outside the box and to really be able to uh, think of, like, creative solutions to a problem at hand. And then there are PMs who are very analytically minded, and they are really great at understanding, like, how our customers, is say, using our product, really data-driven about how we make decisions. And generally... Like you said, it's very hard to find all these traits in the same person. There's, I guess there's no one definition of like where's the best place to be, like whether it's in the center of, mm -hmm. of, of these three. Probably usually people are more towards like kind of one side of the triangle uh, than the other. Right. But usually it's important for you to kind of recognize mm -hmm. where you are in that triangle and be able to kind of maybe move towards or, or be able to improve on the area that you may not be as good. But I think ultimately, it's very rare to see someone who's like right in the middle who are excelling Doing in all three. Yeah, I can imagine that. So let's say someone hears your podcast and says, hey, you know, I think this role sounds very interesting. Is there a way for them to assess, will I enjoy doing this or will I be good at it? I see. So if you are already, say, working in tech industry and you're already working with a part manager, the best way right, <laughs> is to reach out, obviously, reach out to your part manager yeah. or even ask uh, him or her whether there's actually something, some aspect of part development that, that you can help with, uh, right? Yeah. So that you can just get a sense, a feeling of how things work. Like sometimes there's just so much things that needs to happen in the part development cycle 
that your PM may be happy to let you like kind of help out oh, with take off some burden off right, my shoulders to, yeah. to, to help with kind of thinking about the decision for a certain feature or be able to take on certain tasks that needs to happen right mm-hmm. uh, for someone who is completely outside of product management one of the good way to start assessing this is to actually pick a product that you enjoy using or actually even the product that you don't enjoy using mm-hmm. and start to ask yourself why let's say you pick a product let's say Uber, right? You can say, okay, why is Uber so successful? Are you able to kind of articulate what is the vision of Uber? What are they trying to accomplish? And why do people like Uber so much? You can also look at, say, the specific app on your phone and be able to start analyzing, hey, is this a good user interface? Why is it so successful? What are the stuff that I can improve about it? So being able to start doing that would give you a sense of whether you kind of enjoy being the role as a PM. Oh, that's a great suggestion. Yeah. Go ahead. I think you were saying something else. Oh, I was saying that like, obviously this is not in a team setting, so it doesn't give you that kind of cross-functional exposure. But just seeing that whether you have that curiosity in asking these questions and assessing kind of a product would give you a good start in understanding. Yeah, that. yeah. I mean, I think you can, de- you can definitely assess if you have the core, which is that I enjoy thinking about the product. Right. Right. Okay. All right. So I just wanted to spend some time on the interviewing process also. Sure. Um, what do the in PM interviews, what are they like? What do they generally tend to uh, focus on? Uh, sure. So again, there's no one way of interviewing a PM. But generally, the interviewer will ask you about your background and to see if you have any prior experience that are relevant to being a, a good product manager. Now, obviously, the best case scenario is that you have been a PM in, in a prior job. But if you haven't, then generally what the interviewer might look for is whether you have any experience that can demonstrate that you have a good product sense and that you are able to kind of work in a very cross-functional environment and be able to lead in, in such a situation. So usually after that, we would also uh, assess your product sense mm-hmm. as part of it, which is we might ask you about what's your favorite product and ask you to describe what do you like about the product or what are some of the improvements that you see that you can make about a product. We may also go into specific case studies where, let's say, I might ask you about a certain LinkedIn features. I might ask you about how this feature relate to the success of LinkedIn. I may ask you about like, what are some of the improvements that we can make to that feature or what are some of the challenges of that feature itself today. Got it. Okay. Yeah. All right. Is there a typical background for a product manager? Yeah, generally, just like any other position, generally companies like to hire people who have been a PM before. But otherwise, usually PMs come from more analytical background. Uh, usually either you either had an undergraduate technical um, degree. Like or engineering? That, or yeah, know. engineering, computer science. Or you have worked in a very analytical field in tech. So for example, You've worked in, say, data analysts, been in business operations, or you've been in product marketing type of role. So ultimately, what they want to know is that you understand the role of a product manager and you have a tangential uh, experience of working uh, maybe in relation to a product manager. Got it. Okay. So would you have any tips on how to prepare for interviews? Yeah. So I would say that given... You know, PM interviews can really go uh, many different directions. The best way you can prepare is two things. One is to make sure that you really understand the product of the company that you're interviewing for. All the way from what is the vision of the company to how does the product relate to the business goal of the company. And then having a really thorough understanding of 
the experience of the product and be able to form your own opinion about what you like or dislike about that product experience and even coming up with uh, relevant suggestions as well. On top of that, uh, you would want to be very well versed in terms of like what is happening in tech in general, particularly on products that may be relevant to the, the, the company that you're interviewing for and be able to speak to how the development of those products affects the company that you're interviewing for. Right. Uh, being able to have an opinion about what makes a good product and be able to describe favorite or least favorite product would actually would be a good preparation as well. Okay. Oh, that's super helpful. So this is something that I wanted to ask earlier and I should have, I forgot, especially because you're here in Silicon Valley, you're well suited to answer this. These days, on one side, you have big tech companies with a super duper brand like Google and LinkedIn and Facebook. And then, of course, you have startups. So first of all, is there a difference in the PM role if you're looking at a big company compared to a startup? Or is it pretty much the same? Um, absolutely. There's definitely a, a difference there. The biggest difference is in the sense that when you work at a very small company, a lot of times the founders are the product managers. Because usually when the founder, they created the company, they have a vision of where they want to go with the product that they're building. And so it's actually quite rare that a founder would, of a very small company would actually hire a product manager. Mm-hmm. Generally, assuming that the founder themselves are, are technical, they won't hire the first product manager until maybe at least like even 30, 40 people, if not, if not even uh, more. Right, right. And so while a lot of people aspire to work at a startup, PM is generally not one of the first roles that they hire. Oh, I see. Okay. But I mean, in, let's say you have a company which is not a startup startup, but more like a 40, 50 odd people company, then the role is, I'm guessing, similar. I guess the responsibility might, might be more in a startup. Yeah, I, I would say that at that point, the difference in the role is probably that when you're at an established company, there's generally a more well-established vision for where your company is headed. Mm-hmm. And your role as a product manager is to make sure that your particular product or feature adheres to that company vision. When you're at a much smaller product, you have to be prepared that even the company's direction are, oh, yeah, are constantly change uh, changing. And you have to be a, l- a lot more adaptive to that. That makes sense, yeah. So I guess your comfort with ambiguity and change in direction has to be much higher, maybe. That's right. Okay, great. And in terms of the best way to apply, how do you apply? Do you apply on the website? Do you try and network with people in these companies? Uh, yeah, I, I don't think that there is a one-size-fits-all solution. Uh, different companies would have different approach. Generally, if it is a much a, a bigger company, they tend to have a very streamlined hiring process. They usually would have their role posted on their own company website or LinkedIn, where you can go and apply for the role, even if you have not maybe previously talked to anybody at the company or with the recruiter. But with a smaller company, a lot of times they they either don't really like kind of have a structured way of interviewing PM, or sometimes they don't even realize that they need a PM oh, until and, and, until like someone actually approached them and say like, hey, maybe I'm actually someone who, who you're looking for to, yeah. to help you at, at this stage. Yeah. And so my advice for someone who is looking for a PM role at a smaller company is that it will be really important for you to go actually talk to people at the company and be able to uh, articulate your value to them. Right, yeah. And that's a good point because I guess when you're looking at a small company, your fit with the company is also as important as the role itself and whether they want you or not as far as skills that's are concerned. Right. All right, Christine, this was a blast. Super helpful. Learned a lot. One last question. If sure. if you were to share any advice with someone who is considering this role or is interested in this role, what would you share? 
Um, what I would say is that obviously having, I think, the PM title is what a lot of people are interested in. But at the end of the day, there's a lot of different ways to kind of contribute to building of a great product. And particularly at a smaller company, my advice would be that don't get too fixated by what the title of the role is. Being able to be part of that team to build a great product is the best way to learn the skill set of a PM. And in fact, a lot of times people actually switch roles within a company often. And sometimes you may start up in one role and you might eventually become a different role, like maybe a year down the line. So don't get discouraged if you don't get a standard product management role uh, from the get-go. And just make sure that you're working in a company where you totally enjoy the products and agree uh, with the vision of the company. Okay. All right. Thanks a lot, Christine. I'm going to let you now enjoy your weekend. It is Friday evening. Do you have any special plans for the weekend? Uh, I still have to figure out what I'm wearing for Halloween. Oh, that's true. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, do you have any picks right now or choices that you want to pick out from? No. So uh, I, I better get going. <laughs> All right. Take care. Bye-bye. Thanks Thank a you. lot. So that was Christine with some great inputs and insights on what a role in product management is all about. I hope you found today's episode as useful and interesting as I did. You can subscribe to the show on iTunes. It is called Learn, Educate, Discover. If you like what we are doing, please do rate the show on iTunes. It tells us that someone out there is interested in what we are doing. As always, if you have any feedback to share with us or if you have ideas or suggestions on professions that we should include in our upcoming episodes, please do share your ideas with us. You can email us at learneducatediscover at gmail.com. You can also follow us on Twitter. Our Twitter handle is at LED underscore curator. Show notes from today's episodes as well as links to resources mentioned by Christine will be posted to our blog. Our blog is at medium.com forward slash at led underscore curator so thank you so much for listening on our next episode we'll be discussing film production with someone who has started his own film production company so that's a great discussion super interesting stay tuned for that one until then adios